0: Welcome to the 62nd episode of the Baseball HQ Eyes Have It podcast. I'm your host, Chris Blessing. I hope everyone is having a good start to their weeks. I've been plugging away watching video from... All the full-season minor leagues this month, I'm now getting ready for the draft, watching video and talking to my various network of contacts, uh, which is good since this week's podcast is our draft preview episode. Uh, This episode is actually complicated for me since I do a little bird bird dog work for a club um, during the spring in the months of February and March. Uh, I'll go out and... Look at some uh, local prep players, uh, mostly, sometimes small college guys. Uh, Unfortunately, I can't talk about any of the draft prospects in the coverage area of the the scout I help out. So even if I didn't see them, uh, which is usually the case, I can't talk about them. So uh, that's why I have a guest on this week to help. uh, And he can talk about all of them. Um, He is a draft writer for Baseball America co host of the future projection podcast and a man I share pain with since he is responsible for prospect ranking the Braves farm system. I'm pleased to welcome <laughs> Carlos Colazzo to the show. Carlos, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, man. And yeah, the uh the Braves, uh that, that farm system is not in the uh the best spot it's ever been. But I guess the big league team is good. So uh it, people in Atlanta are probably happy with that. But no, thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to talk draft with you
0: yeah uh that brave system's bad, uh, unfortunately, that's half my coverage uh since I'm here in the southeast uh based kind of close to Rome and close to Chattanooga. Uh, those teams have not been that great, and of course, I missed uh, a j Smith Straver when he uh came through very briefly this year in Rome, so it's been a really tough look of that team um but anyway um Thank you for coming on with us this week. I know you are on the road, so tell our listeners where you're at and why you are there. Yeah, so right now I'm actually in
1: Cary, North Carolina. Uh, The PDP League, which is the Prospect Development Pipeline League, is going on at USA Baseball's Complex, which is based out of Cary, North Carolina. Also, the college national team is here. They're going to be doing scrimmages all week, uh, a few games this weekend. Uh, against other international teams. So uh, for me, this is really the first extended look at prospects in the 2024 class, which is a bit odd because we obviously haven't had the 2023 draft uh, with this later draft date that we've kind of established in the calendar now. There's always a little bit of overlap that happens on the calendar. Uh, So I'm here in a hotel, so writing reports, uh, updating our reports, I should say, on 2023 prospects, uh, making calls in the 2023 draft. Uh, And during the day this week and and in the evenings for the college national team, I'll be getting my first real look at the 2024, some of the top 2024 players in the class. So that's why I'm here. Uh, And there's plenty going on. And I think we're only like two weeks away from the draft. So it's
0: busy times for us. It is. It's definitely busy for you draft writers. Um, You're at the draft combine, too, correct? Yeah, so I,
1: I was just in Phoenix like four days ago. I was there for the first two days when they did the, the on-field workouts. Like I had a high school game, but it was mostly BP's, bullpen sessions, in and out for players. That was actually a really, really good event to see a, a huge swath of um, players that could go anywhere from late in the first round to throughout the second day and on day three. Um, so, so that was good. Uh, the first time I've been to the Combine since the inaugural combine that was in carry uh the first year that it I was at, actually at usa baseball's complex i missed last year's in california yeah. and then uh this past year in arizona it's probably the best field they've had at the event um oh wow i thought it was a, a pretty significant step forward from the last time that i saw it so i think that that event is trending in the right
0: direction for a prospect next like me well, that's great. That's great. That's something that when it was in Kerry, I wanted to try to get to, and I wasn't able to do that that season. So um, it's always awesome to hear about that. So Carlos, let's get to some of your background. Tell us about your journey to prospect coverage and how long you have been writing for Baseball America.
1: Yeah, I think I'm in my seventh year at Baseball America. I started in 2017. Uh, Full-time, although my first experience with Baseball America was actually in 2014 when I was interning. Um, I was a a college student at North Carolina, uh, UNC Chapel Hill, and there's a bit of a UNC to BA pipeline just because the BA office was previously based in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, There were a lot of UNC guys who worked for the student newspaper uh, at the college, the Daily Tar Heel. Who, who worked for for the company? John Manuel, Aaron Fit, Will Lingo, a yeah. uh, number of number of people that have been through Baseball America, kind of went through that pipeline, and I and I followed it. That was kind of my first exposure to the scouting world. Um, I, I kind of knew going into school that I wanted to do something with baseball and, and something with writing, hopefully, um, but mostly I was just kind of thinking about maybe being a beat writer because that was kind of the the dream job for really anyone who wants to cover baseball when you're young I feel like you watch the big league game you think about how cool it'd be to cover the big leagues and I got to do that for a few summers with internships with MLB.com um, but I was really just drawn to the the prospect the side of the game because it was something that I wasn't really exposed to I didn't know a whole lot about it was really interesting to me just seeing this whole different side of the game and talking with scouts who I feel like I've forgotten more about baseball than I'll ever know. And and that watching young players and seeing them play and trying to project what they're going to be like, like that was all super fascinating to me. And then once I graduated, I was fortunate enough that a, a position came open at baseball America. Um, and very quickly after I started, I was kind of thrust into the draft role because some people moved on to work with teams. Hudson Balinski worked with the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks for a few years and as an area scout was actually the signing scout for Drew Jones, who was, uh, their their first pick last year, John Manuel uh, moved on and, and started working with the Twins as a professional scout there. So, really, just got handed an opportunity to start yeah. covering the draft as kind of our main draft writer, and that's what I've been doing since. I guess 2018 would have been my first draft, kind of leading our draft coverage, and here I am doing it now today. And I feel like uh, I still learned as much as um, I did really the first few months and in, in years at BA as I do now. The game changes quickly, and it's. Uh, it's kind of cool, I guess. Now I've had like a full cycle of players that I've seen in high school who have actually gotten up to the major league level, and just seeing that um, the cycle of player development and having some experience with it now has, has been fun to see.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man. And I, I actually bird dogged the first year that Hudson Belinsky was uh, a scout here in uh, Georgia. So uh, he yeah. was my first bird dog. You know, first time I ever bird dogged for anybody, and. It was always nice seeing Huddy around the parks after I kinda uh left for another friend. Actually, the friend that uh got me in contact with Huddy then ended up being a area scout for a while over here. So uh mm-hmm. I ended up leaving and I had to tell Huddy, and that was a really hard thing to do because he's a <laughs> sweetheart of a guy. Um yeah, that's a great guy. He he did a lot to kinda of help me out and show me the ropes. So I'll I'll definitely uh forever be in debt to him. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um since you've been covering the draft for Baseball America, who have been some of your favorite prospects from past drafts to cover and see develop as pros?
1: Yeah, I think one of the first ones that I remember is probably McKinsey Gore, just because he was a North Carolina um, prospect. My first year, 2017, would have been his high school year, and I remember Hudson just telling me, oh, McKenzie's playing this day, why don't you go see him? Um, and just seeing him pitch and being blown away, just with – the athleticism with his delivery, with the stuff. I remember that game. I think he he dominated. I don't remember exactly what it was, but he let up like one infield hit uh, and then one very softly blooped hit through the outfield. Wow. And I remember after the game, he was like pissed that he had let up two hits. And he, You would have thought he just lost the game and got lit up. And it was like two very weak hits, a ton of strikeouts. And I was like, man, like this is just another level right now. But he was the first really high-end player that I saw in person when I started with BA who has kind of panned out and made it to the yeah. majors. I think the more impressive look that I had that same year in that same draft class was Austin Beck. I remember going to see him with Hudson and it was a massive crowd of scouts. Uh, he wasn't a guy who had played in the summer showcase circuit last, uh, the summer prior, because he was dealing with an injury. So there was a ton of people in to see him trying to kind of get their looks and get caught up on him and he homered twice, doubled to the opposite field, turned in 70 grade run time, had like some of the most electric bat speed to this day that I've seen from a high school player, and I was just like, man, this guy's going to be an absolute star, yeah. um, and that obviously hasn't panned out. So I think it's it's probably pretty pretty good for me that I had two really loud looks my first year, um, and just seeing them really go in two different directions in pro ball is a, is a good um learning experience for me that this one, just because they're so electric and look so great for you when they're in high school, well, by no means does that mean it's, it's some sort of guaranteed uh, or sure thing. Those two jump out. And then Nick Madrigal would be another one. I remember watching him when he was in high school um, and just talking with David Eckstein about him at the time, just really praising his defensive ability and, and seeing how polished he was as a as mm-hmm. a fielder jumped out to me at the time. And, I think even then he became a much better hitter than I ever expected him to be. Um, So those three are probably the the three earliest
0: ones that really jump out to me. No, that's awesome. Uh, You kind of answered part of this question already, but uh, is there any past draft prospects who, for whatever reason, should have been better professionals than they uh, have been or were uh, in case any of them have uh, disappeared? Yeah, I think Austin Beck is a good one for that. So
1: I'm kind of just mentioning that now. I think the the lesson that I learned from from Beck, and there have been a couple other players that have followed similar paths. I think Keone Kavako is another really good example that yeah. I use. It's just like it is very easy to fall in love with hitters in the spring when they're not playing the best competition, and they do have really loud tools, and they have athleticism. Like You can really fall in love with those players. But for me now, after seeing what they've done in pro ball – knowing that they weren't on the summer showcase circuit and really didn't have a lot of history facing the highest level competition uh, amongst their peers. And like evaluating the hit tool, I think, is the hardest thing about this job and the hardest thing that scouts do, especially for young players, uh, high school players who really just have such wildly varying competition. Um, It it would be very hard for me to. to invest a ton of money in a high school hitter who I just didn't have any track record in the summer showcase circuit or or playing against really good competition because it's just so hard to know who's who's really going to hit and who's who's not going to hit so those two would be examples of players that certainly have the tools and and the athleticism to be better but the hitting is just so hard and they've always kind of seemed overmatched in pro ball and have never really taken a step forward the other one for me that I was really in on that I expected would be a really good player and just hasn't really panned out. And I think this is probably an example of not having certain information that that I wish I had at the time, but now we do and maybe we would have thought about him in a different lens. If we had more like batted ball data available at the time, that's Austin Martin. Um, He was picked fifth overall in the 2020 draft, I believe. So it was the weird COVID shortened season. Maybe it would have been a case where he moved down draft boards more, um, if we'd kind of had that full season, but I was just so in on his hitting ability. Uh, he had showed power the season before a big jump from freshman year, to sophomore year. I love the athlete. I thought he moved really well. He's fast. It was a good approach. Um, and then pretty much as soon as he got into pro ball, there were real questions about um, just impact and the amount of power that he would have. Uh, and it was significantly less than I expected at the time. So I think he's another example of a player who I was very high on, thought I was going to be really good, and just haven't, haven't really seen it pan out. Uh, it's not to say that he can't be a, a productive player in some capacity, but certainly the, the ceiling that I had on him in my mind at the time is is not anywhere close to what it, it actually looks like it's going to be.
0: Yeah, it's, it's always good to kind of look at those guys, especially with what we have available now um, with uh, blast data and that sort of thing. Um, To see where they're where, you know, what would have changed in your evaluation type deal. Um, So that's always that's always a good thing. Uh, While you were talking, I kind of was thinking about seeing C.J. Abrams at Blessed Trinity High School and just was I was absolutely blown away by him. And I thought it, I thought that hit tool could, you know, really propel him um, to potential superstardom with his speed um you know i'm kind of a fan of, well i'm kind of i am a fantasy guy um you know i i kind of considered myself a <laughs> scouty type first but uh you know i saw the I saw a kid that i thought was was going to be a fantasy star and it, it just doesn't look like that at this point and yeah uh, i i think we don't realize how some guys are um stay as good as they were and never get better, if that makes sense. Like, there's never a, a next step for them in development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you see that a lot with some kids who, who like, advance physically a little bit
1: quicker than their peers. There have been any number of examples of really high-profile underclass high school players who are just a lot bigger and stronger, and they they kind of get to their peak just earlier than everyone else does, and then later on, a few years down the line, everyone kind of catches up to them. So it's it is always tricky knowing, like, Okay, what are the steps this player has taken, and where are they going to go from here? It's always difficult to to actually know what that is.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Um, this is the kind of moving into more general draft questions about this year's draft, and um, the reason for this is every year first year player drafts come around, and I I mean I do rankings. I know that Jeff and uh, Dylan do rankings over at Baseball America uh selective you know there's all kinds of other people that do these type of rankings last year was especially hard without um, many college bats um to to basically slot in for um purposes of first year player drafts um which for us in fantasy is 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 a pretty big deal and thankfully we had the really good prep bats uh that made it a little easier but what is the overall industry's opinion of this draft? is it a deep draft or is it a shallow draft?
1: I think that this is uh, another year of a deep draft. I think the last three years really have been, uh, the depth has kind of been artificially inflated because of the COVID year. This is three years out from 2020. Um, And so a lot of the premium third year college players are high school players or, or would have been high school players in 2020, um, that draft obviously limited a lot of the, the preps that came into the pro ranks at the time, pushed a lot of really good players to college. Um, so I think it's still very strong. This is the first year that I've done a, a BA 500 where instead of trying to finish the list and get a couple of players on to round it out, I find myself like, I feel like we have too many players that I want to put on the list, but like there's not enough room for all the players. I think down into the Like 50s, 60s, really the entirety of the top 100. There are a lot of players that I really find myself liking quite a bit. I think it's incredibly deep in terms of hitters in both demographics, college and high school. This year, I think there's a great depth of high school pitching. And I think, like, kind of putting, um, like, looking at impact talent on top of the depth, I think the impact talent at the very top of the class is some of the best we've had uh, in the last. Five, ten years or so. I think it's when you have players like Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz who are given labels as like quasi generational types. Um, mm-hmm. People are saying Dylan Cruz is a similar caliber prospect to Adley Rushman. Obviously, with Paul Skeens, uh, he's being talked about as the best pitching prospect since steven strasberg mm-hmm. When you have two players like that leading the top of yeah. your draft, and you also have a really deep draft, it's hard for me to come away um, with an opinion that's anything but being really excited. I think. Last summer, I was very, very high on the draft. And and at that point in the calendar, there's kind of a tendency to pump the brakes a little bit. Okay, are you just excited because it's new, you're seeing all these players for the first time, but that that enthusiasm has really carried over for me throughout this draft class. I think it's the best draft class I've ever covered at Baseball America, so that would be back to 2018. Um, I just think there are very few holes in this class. There are a few, there are some holes to mention, but I think that. Overall, it's a lot of up the middle college paths with tools, with track records of production, with power. The high school side, you've got elite talents like Walker Jenkins and Max Clark up top that I think they they line up with previous top of the class high school players like Drew Jones, like Jackson Holiday, like Jordan Lawler, Marcella Meyer. Uh, they fit right into that file of player. Then you also have the second tier of high school shortstops that's super exciting. Um, and tremendous pitching depth on the high school side. So I really, really like this class and the feedback
0: that I've gotten personally from the industry is that it's a really strong class as well. Yeah. Same feedback that I've gotten. And I, I tend to scout, um, when I go out for the organization, I tend to scout guys that are on the peripheral of being drafted prospects. Essentially, these are guys that are usually going to go into the college ranks, um, and do their damage come out three years later. Um. Or two years later, if they're um, they're older kids. Um, and even this year, even though I wasn't out as much, and even though I'm pretty sure most of the guys that I saw aren't being drafted, um, the quality of um, even those, those guys, those high school players, were much better than the last two years, definitely. Like, it, it, it was clear. Um, so anyway, um, moving on to the strength of this draft, I know you've just covered some of this, but like... Looking at what one singular thing that you would consider the strength of this class could be the top, it could be uh, the depth or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. what do you think is the the truest strength of this draft?
1: I would say the strength of this class is up the middle college hitters. Uh, last year, I felt really good about just the college hitting in general that we had, just because there were a lot of bats that I really liked. A lot of those players were at corner profiles. Uh, There were players who played up the middle, but there was really high risk of them moving down the defensive spectrum at the next level. I think power in general jumped out to me a year ago this year. There are way more up the middle college players than you typically have Dylan Cruz, Wyatt Langford at the top of the list on the hitting side, both guys who have a chance to to be center fielders um, with tremendous offensive profiles you have Jacob Wilson and Jacob Gonzalez, two top 10 college shortstops. I think entering the year, Jacob Gonzalez is maybe shaving up to be one of the better college shortstop prospects we've had in a while. Um, I think there is a little bit more skepticism about that profile overall now. Uh, he's still quite good. But even beyond those two, Jacob Wilson and his outlier contact ability, Jacob Gonzalez with his kind of average power and OVP skills. Um, you've got a guy like Matt Shaw who has had a tremendous season at Maryland. He's probably not going to be a shortstop, but I think he still can stay up the middle Um, in the middle infield as a second baseman. You have uh, Tommy Troy at Stanford who's played third base Mm -hmm. but has also played second. Uh, He's had a tremendous season offensively. Kyle Teal is maybe the most athletic player of anyone who I've mentioned um, kind of in in this section of the draft who is moving into like top ten range at this point has had a tremendous offensive season at virginia and i think while there is some work to do with like is the case with most amateur catchers and just refining some things he's got all the tools that you need to stick at the position he moves really well he's got a plus arm um and and so you just have a lot of these up the middle profiles that you don't always get to the college level i think most of the time the, the most talented high school shortstop's are signing um, and you you just don't get those talents to college. Like it's rare that a a player like Dylan Cruz even made it to college. Yeah. Um, So I think that specific demographic um, is, is the, maybe the strength if I had to pick one of this draft class, because I mean, you always want an out the middle type. You always want a tool Z type. You always want the college track record. And with a lot of these players, you're kind of checking all of those boxes. And I feel like I haven't really seen a draft class that has this many of those types um, who seem like pretty locked in safe and upside profiles. Like obviously they're not going to all pan out, but the fact that you have so many to pick from this year is is pretty exciting.
0: What is the weakness of this
1: draft? Yeah, I think the weakness, you're probably looking at college catching outside of Kyle Teal and you're looking at college left-handed pitching. Um, there's really no college pitcher who, who throws left-handed, who, who looks like a safe bet to be selected inside the first round. And if we don't have a college lefty go in the first round, that would break, uh, I think, a 47-year streak in the draft, oh, which wow. is always a profile that goes in the first round. Like, it's such a commodity. Teams want left-handed pitching in general. If you can get those pitchers from the college demographic, then even better. Um, we've had a few p- pitchers get injured, but I really think it's just been one of those years where, for whatever reason – um, there's just not that one pitchability, safe college starter who throws from the left side. You don't have, like, a Nick Lodolo or a a Wicks in this class. Like, you don't have a Carson Wisenhunt even in this class. There are a couple guys who have performed. Uh, I think Joe Whitman at Kent State is one of the notable ones. Um, Vanderbilt's left-handed pitcher, Hunter Owen, uh, he has a chance, certainly. Um, both of those guys have their own unique question marks, and they're not ranked inside the top 30 Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that demographic or if teams just kind of pivot away from the college side and attack a a fairly deep uh, left-handed stock on the high school side Um, and then to go back to catching I think the last several years we've really been spoiled with with pretty good college catchers just inside the top two rounds Uh, that is a demographic that always gets artificially pushed up the board college catchers Mm -hmm. specifically just because you need catchers in your organization um, the college demographic, again, the industry loves to take. So there's a chance that that someone gets pushed into the second round. But once you get past Kyle Teal, there's really no obvious player uh, that makes sense on talent in the top 70, 80 picks. So it's, it's really going to be a position where uh, if you need a catcher and you want a catcher, you, there's not a lot of players to pick from.
0: So those would be the two specific areas of weaknesses I see in this year's class. It almost sounds like the catching class is going back to like where it was uh middle part of last decade um where it just didn't seem like uh, there was always that one or two college catchers that were elevated and then um it dropped off significantly, and then you saw some over overdrafts um in the mm-hmm. second, third, and maybe even the fourth round of some college uh catchers because. Mm-hmm. You know, you hope that one of them ends up hitting. Uh, I mean, that's a lot of it uh, is trying to track that hit tool as well. Yep, absolutely. I think we're definitely going to see some catchers who
1: who get taken in a round where you kind of look up and you're like, wait, he, he got taken where? And mm-hmm. uh, I don't think it should be a surprise when it does happen because <laughs> it, it typically always happens. And this year, there's not a lot to pick from. And it, that doesn't mean the, the demand uh, for catchers has decreased at all. Just the supply is a little bit weaker than typical or at least the last few years.
0: I'm going to ask a hard question this time. Uh, this is, uh, and I think you've already kind of answered this, but let's go five years in the future. And what do you think will be the most surprising lesson that we learn from this draft? Well, I am curious of what you think my answer already was, because this is a very
1: tough question. I think like just the the nature of the question almost makes it impossible to answer because if I could tell you right now what the most surprising lesson is well then it's not really much of a surprise I think you're right the best the best answer here is probably that one of these players in the top five who we all really love is just not going to be a good professional player and maybe that's just kind of reiterating the overall success rate of prospects and of the draft in general like I don't think that anyone has really looked at these top five and just reevaluated how they think of the success rate. I don't think that's really how it works, but I do think people maybe because we talked about how good the top of this class is that we just assume all these players are going to get to the big leagues and be stars. Um, But I guess maybe just don't be surprised when that doesn't happen because it's it's very hard to succeed in this game. Um, (laughs) If it wasn't, we'd have much better hit rates in the draft and you could look back at drafts and you wouldn't, be able to redraft them in such significantly different order. So I'll just say like one of these top five, Dylan Cruz, Wyatt Langford, Paul Skeens, Walker Jenkins, Max Clark. One of them is just not, maybe not even one, but they're, they're not all going to be stars. Um, Maybe that's my answer. Although
0: it feels like kind of a cop-out answer. When, when I was crafting this question, I kind of was thinking, well, you know, maybe there's so many up the middle guys that stick. And then you hit that you hit that subject while we were talking about the strength uh, of the draft, yeah. and it was, you know, because most of the time when you're looking at a draft, most of the up the middle guys are guys that you can easily um, move off of those positions because they just don't have enough mm-hmm. athleticism or whatever um, that's yeah. missing uh, there. So. Uh, when I was writing this question, that was kind of my answer on things. Gotcha. But I think uh, you, you also got to think uh, who's developing these guys, which organizations are going to develop those top five guys. Um, and they might not end up in a great development situation. Um, you know, sometimes talent needs needs that. Uh, sometimes Absolutely. talent can overcome bad, bad development. I mean, but it's usually there, there needs to be something there to help these uh, these young players. Absolutely. Well, this is a perfect time to take a break and hear from Patrick over at Baseball HQ Radio.
2: Hey, Eyes Have It listeners, Patrick Davitt here from the Baseball HQ Radio podcast. This week's pod is another great Friday full edition featuring an expert interview with Mike Gianella from Baseball Prospectus, discussing whether two pitcher starts in a week is actually better than one, talking about paying minor celebrities to record podcast intros, how the conventional wisdom about saves isn't actually all that wise, and how fab budgeting is actually way tougher than draft budgeting. He'll also have some boons and banes for this weekend's fab runs. Plus, we'll have all the usual great stuff, news analysis with Ray Murphy from Baseball HQ, And our Baseball HQ commentaries. That's Mike Gianella. Available now on this week's Friday full edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio, and I hope you'll join us.
0: Thank you, Patrick. Don't forget to tune in to the award winning Baseball HQ Radio Uh, at one of your favorite podcast sites or log on to baseballhq.com and look for the Baseball HQ Radio widget, which is right next to our radio which is right next to our radio widget. Um, This is also a good time to let our listeners know that early bird registration is open for the 28th annual First Pitch Arizona event. Uh, That's November 2nd through 5th at the Sheridan Mesa Wrigleyville, which is right next to Sloan Park, home of the Mesa Solar Sox. The Arizona Fall League. It's a great weekend packed full of fantasy baseball seminars, scouting and socializing with some of the most recognizable fantasy baseball personalities from a variety of websites, including running into folks from Baseball America like Jeff Ponce, who uh, presented last year at the conference. Uh, Heck, if you're grinding at the park, scouting some fall league guys like I do, you might also run into a variety of other prospect media personalities, ex-players and maybe even one or two general managers who seemingly are present usually from teams that are did not make the playoffs so uh anyway the early bird special of 329 dollars runs through july 5th so come join us in arizona this fall well let's break down the top of the draft. Um, we've already talked a little bit about this. The June 16th updated the baseball America top 500 draft prospect list had LSU outfielder, Dylan Cruz and LSU right-hand pitcher, Paul Skeens in the top two spots. Uh, this was followed by, uh, Florida outfielder who, uh, homered today, uh, Wyatt, uh, Langford in the third spot. Um, how close are these three to each other in the rankings? And how do you think, uh, uh who do you think i should say the pirates will select number one
1: yeah this is uh this is a great question i mean this is a question that everyone is asking as they do their mock drafts over the last few weeks and i assume as we uh get to the draft we're not going to have great confidence in who the pirates are taking just because that that seems to be how they operate they're playing things close to the vest they're a team that's willing to get creative um hunt some underslot deals and i think Kind of the the talent of this class aligns with that strategy. I think it's very close in the top three. Uh, I think you could even expand that to the two preps who are right after them: and North Carolina outfielder Walker Jenkins and Midwest outfielder uh, Max Clark. Um, th- those are all the consensus top five players in the class. I think Cruz is probably still the consensus top uh, number one player in the class. Like depending on on how loosely you're going to. Um, define the term consensus because I do think with all these players, with Cruz, with Skeens, with Langford, you will find scouts who prefer those three in all kinds of different orders. I think you could make an easy case that Paul Skeens has the most upside of anyone in this class. That wouldn't surprise me at all. You can even have, uh, I- I've talked with scouts specifically who prefer Wyatt Langford to Dylan Cruz, um, and it's mostly at the margins. I've not talked with anyone who's like, oh, clearly. Langford is better than Cruz, or oh, clearly Cruz is better than Langford. Like, it's just very subtle things. It depends on your organization philosophy, your specific preferences as a scout. Um, Do you prefer the really simple direct swing of Wyatt Langford? Do you prefer Dylan Cruz and his electric bat speed? Um, Do you prefer um, going for this high upside, ace caliber pitching prospect, or are you more risk averse and you'd rather just get an elite hitter at the top? So, I think all those kind of come into play. I mean, for me personally, I think Walker Jenkins um, from the high school ranks has the the best overall swing in the class. So I think all these guys are very close. I wouldn't expect our order to change in these final two weeks, um, barring something crazy, barring getting a a significant amount of of similar feedback from the industry that for whatever reason pops up. I expect the five to kind of continue how they are up until draft day. But um, you can kind of take that five and put them in really whatever order you want. I think, and it it wouldn't be crazy. There are cases for them all. Even Max Clark who probably gets talked about less frequently at the very top Mm -hmm. of this group. Like he is the most locked in center field profile of all of these hitters. He, he probably has the most electric secondary tool set of all of these hitters. So if you really buy into his hit tool and you like those secondary tools, like by all means, make your case for Max Clark. I think he also probably has the biggest, question in in terms of power potential compared to Cruz and Langford and Jenkins, who are all just really beefy, strong guys who have either proven it on the college ranks or just have a leverage swing for power now in the case of Jenkins. But no, I think it's very close. Um, And and in terms of who the Pirates are picking first, I'll probably continue to lean Cruz until I hear otherwise, but it wouldn't shock me
0: uh, if they took any any one of these players that we've mentioned. I mean, I think that's a perfectly answered question right there. We have five prospects that could very well um get into that top slot um
1: mm-hmm. in
0: any order and you know you, you always have a team that messes up that top five somehow and uh picks somebody that they probably shouldn't have picked <laughs> um <laughs> with, with with a choice there uh the, thankfully the rockies aren't in the top five this year to be down <laughs> for us um you always got to throw some rocky shade in there. Um, when Baseball America inserts, oh, well, first off, let me go why the next question is kind of important. A few weeks ago, mm-hmm. Carlos, we had Jared uh, Sedler from Baseball Prospectus on, and he and I got into a long, long conversation about how hard um, each other's midseason rankings are going to be, um, mostly because at Baseball HQ and I guess at Baseball Prospectus as well, we don't rank anybody that's in the top, uh, or in our top 50 mid season that has appeared in the major leagues. Uh, so that takes a lot of guys out of consideration (laughs) and it really makes it really hard this year, especially with, you know, kind of really feeling, um, the 2020, um, draft really, I I consider Mm. the 2020 draft feeling the pain from that draft. Um, in this ranking, yeah. and so you also have the
1: prospect promotion incentives too. That are it seems like yes. is helping teams pull the trigger a little bit quicker on their decision to promote players. So you got a, a yeah. few factors in there there to make it painful for you.
0: Yes. um So like there's there's guys that both of us were talking about. We were throwing names uh, out there that we're just there is no way that we would have considered these guys top fifty guys like just from the beginning of the season. Like not even in our spectrum. Like usually a guy in the top 50 will at least be in your spectrum Um, and and that's just not the case. So I think this is a really great question. So when baseball America inserted inserts the drafted players into their August update of the top 100 prospect licks, who from this year's draft class makes the top 25 and does anyone make the top 10? I think definitely they're going to make the top 10. I will be making strong
1: Personal cases for both Dylan Cruz <laughs> and Paul Skeens to immediately jump into our list uh, top ten overall, and I don't think that's really unprecedented. Both Spencer Torkelson and Adley Rutschman joined the list and our top one hundred list at I think five and six respectively. Adley Rutschman at five, and Tork was either six or he might have also been five. Um, just given the current state of prospects, it's really bad right now. Um, it's the worst top one hundred that I've experienced to be an NBA and kind of being involved in the prospect team as well. Um, mostly it falls off once you get after like 30 or 40 or so. Yes. Um, I also think, I also think the top of the class is weaker than average in general too. Like there's no, there was no obvious player who was like this generational talent who had very few warts to like get confident about. Like, I, I think that it's just a down year for the minor league prospect list. And I think because of that, because of the fact that this class is so good, like Dylan Cruz has a case as the top prospect in baseball pretty much immediately, I think. So he should be in that top 10. Paul Skeens should be in that top 10. Um, And just given how we've talked about the top five being so close to each other, I think all of Max Clark Walker Jenkins, Wyatt Langford have cases as top 25 prospects. Um, I was just pulling up our list right now to see like the actual top 25 to see like, if if there's like a Clark or Jenkins, if I wouldn't take in that range and I, I don't think so i think I think all those five should be in the top twenty five pretty much right wow. away
0: wow yeah that's that's kind of where I was going too um i we don't draft uh um we don't use any of our draft guys in the mid season list, but I think this year we're gonna pull uh push out a first year player draft list pretty early um mm-hmm. with a expectation at least on my individual list of showing. Hey, you know these guys, and I'll be honest. All five of them will probably make my um, would make my yeah. top twenty five. Um, like, like I'm looking at our list right now. That. We have
1: we have Indy Rodriguez, nineteen. Sal Frelick at twenty. Um, Tyler Soderstrom at twenty three. Like, I would take all of the five players at the top of the twenty twenty three draft class over those guys. Uh, I, I would think. too. Like, just in terms of overall upside potential, like conviction in the hit tools, positional profile. Like, yeah, I think I think the This will probably be the most heavily – there will be more draftees initially ranking in the top 100 probably than any year that I've done it. And so that – I think probably you're looking at maybe 12 to 15 players in the top 100 in total.
0: Yeah. I I, I totally agree with you too because I've tried to already warn our minor league staff. uh, We have like seven guys that rank over at Baseball HQ. Mm -hmm. Like this mm-hmm. year's gonna be a, gonna be a wild year, and trust your instincts <laughs> in ranking. I mean, that's what it is because you'll you'll get through a top one hundred or one hundred and fifty or whatever, and you're like, D- do I really have this many draft uh, draft guys in here? Um, yeah, and, and get a little scared about that—that that you're being too bold. Um, but I don't mm-hmm. think it's bold this year. I think I think a weak draft, a weak prospect class—that's the existing prospect class—and um, mm-hmm. a strong. Um, draft class is, is basically converging at the same time. Thank you. Absolutely. 2020.
1: Yeah. I know our prospect guys are like just waiting, like they're dying for the draft to be here
0: because <laughs> we're like scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> so we need some. Oh, reports. that's great. That's great. Um, Next question. Uh, Chase Dollinger from Tennessee entered this season with the most hype amongst starting pitching prospects. But his stuff has appeared to take a step back. uh, With Skeens locked in as the first pitcher likely off the board, is Dollinger number two, or is there another arm likely to be that second pitcher taken? Yeah, it's uh,
1: it's definitely a lot closer now than you would have expected at the beginning of the year. All their shape on his fastball, the consistency and the sharpness of his slider have just not been as good as they were in 2022 when he was like kind of made himself the consensus top pitcher entering this class. Um, kind of stepped back in a number of ways. Command hasn't been as great. Uh, so he's, he's pretty polarizing. I think the industry is very hesitant to drop him because they all remember how dominant he was. And in terms of just velocity and stuff overall, like he has shown it, he's still averaging 95 on the fastball. He still gets a lot of whips on the fastball the slider is still there at times. Um, so you can still see what you really liked the year ago. And I think that that might give some teams some optimism that they can make a few tweaks and, and kind of allow him to rediscover himself in pro ball. But I think at this point, Rhett Lauder, the right-handed pitcher, pitcher at Wake Forest, he is as likely to be the, the second college pitcher off the board as Dolander at this point. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. I think just having him post consistently throughout the year, uh, pitching in the College World Series, uh, and, and doing well down the stretch in the postseason, that just gives teams a lot of comfort. And there are teams in the top 10 who just want to have a safe pick. Uh, it's a good, this, this group of college arms is pretty solid, I would say. Um, and louder, just having done it, having been one of the most impressive pitchers in the class, and also being a pitcher that you really don't need to project much on. I know some people can take that as a negative, but I kind of view it as a positive. Like, you really don't need to do much with Rhett Louder for him to be an effective starting pitcher at the big league level. Like he's pretty ready-made. He's physical. It's a three-pitch mix. Um, He has great feel for all those pitches. You can make a case that he has the best command in the class. Like it's just a very polished overall profile. Um, And we talk about how risky the draft is. Like I guess all pitching prospects are inherently risky, but this would be one of the safer ones that you have just given his his strike throwing, his performance, back-to-back ACC player of the year. Like he's really done everything – he needed to do to move up boards and and position himself well to be the second pitcher taken after Skeens.
0: Uh, Could there be a chance that maybe Noble Meyer, a high schooler from Oregon uh, pops in as the second pitcher taken? Yeah, I think so. I think that's certainly
1: possible. Uh, I'm not a betting man in general, but I wouldn't bet on that just because the high school demographic in general tends to get faded a little bit more. But I do know for a fact that teams at the very top of the draft have been scouting him heavily. Throughout the spring, um, you could make a case that he has some of the best upside in the class outside of uh, Paul Skeens. I mean, it's two potential 70-grade pitches with the fastball and slider. It's great touch and feel. I, I've said this throughout the draft cycle. It's it's kind of like a combination of Mick Abel, pure stuff with Andrew Painter, touch and feel at the same age with a similar frame to both those guys. So uh, if you think he's the best of both worlds of those two prospects, you're, you're getting a really Exciting pitching prospect. So, I I think there's definitely a chance that he's the second pitcher off the board.
0: Is there anyone outside the top 20 who could sneak in? And what I mean by top 20, I mean your top 20, uh, Baseball America's top 20, who could sneak into the top 10 of this draft class?
1: I think there are. um, I mean, just a few years ago, we had Frankie Mazzucato go inside the top 10. No one really expected him to. I think one of the defining features of this class as well, we haven't touched on, is that. Once you get outside of the top 5, there's not really a a bunch of separation in the next 30 35 players in the class. Like there are a lot of really good players that that fit as middle of the first round talents and just kind of depends on your your personal preferences, your philosophy. I don't have a specific name to throw at you here. Like if Rice Eldridge went top 10, that wouldn't shock me. We have him at 22 on our board right now. Um, mm-hmm. Chase Davis, I mean I, I think Chase I'm surprised that he doesn't rank higher on our list. And just to clarify, people don't know. Like you probably think, "Oh, well, it's your list. Just move him up." Like we try <laughs> and <laughs> we try and uh, build our list based on the industry, uh, based on their consensus, their feedback. He seems pretty polarizing for whatever reason. But he checks a ton of boxes metrically, physically, tools-wise. The performance is great this year. If he went up in the top ten, like that, that wouldn't shock me. Um, a number of high school shortstops. Someone fell in love with. Like Colin Houck, like I really like Colin Houck. We've got him right on that borderline. Um, yeah, like there are, there are a number of names that wouldn't shock me here. And I think things will get kind of crazy once we get beyond this like top tier of this top five. Once we get past a Rhett Lauder, a Kyle Teal, we seem pretty safe to go in the top 10. The back of the top 10 and into the early uh, teens is going to get pretty wild, I think.
0: All right, here's another question. Uh, is there anyone outside of your... Uh, Baseball America's top 50 um, who could sneak into the first round. Just like one name that could sneak into the first round. I'll go for this one. I'll go
1: Hunter Owen. Uh, I mentioned him a little bit earlier. He, I think there's a chance we push college lefties up. He's one of the better college lefties in the class. It's six foot six, 260 pounds. I think the stuff is really impressive. Uh, The fastball is good. He's got a good changeup. He's got two good breaking balls. He performed really well. I think if he was fully healthy, there's a chance that he he's ranked inside the top 50. But he dealt with um, a little bit of shoulder stuff this spring. Um, but in terms of like size, physicality stuff, he fits around that range. And, and because there's no other college left-handed pitchers, I think that almost might be a safe bet to go for one of these performing college lefties to to go higher than we think. Um, again, maybe that just means that we haven't ranked too low. But uh, for now, Hunter Owen, we have him at 61, so he, he'll be my name.
0: Now, since you've been doing this for several years, I'm I'm going to throw out a, a another question here. Uh, does it annoy you possibly that some you know a guy might sneak in that you didn't have a good beat on, um, mm-hmm. you know, into the round one uh, uh, per se? Uh, it doesn't annoy me uh, if it's
1: a player that like we didn't have at all. That would annoy me, but if, if it's a player that we had information on, we knew who he was, and we had him broken yeah. down. Um, that's fine. Like I understand the, the financials of, of baseball kind of make things a little dicey. Um, it doesn't always go in terms of straight talent. And also just like doing this for a few years, you kind of realize how quickly consensus really falls apart on a draft board and players ranked like 110 to 40, like teams can have vastly different opinions on those players and line them up in significantly different orders. Um, really once you get out of the elite tier, I think the separation of players, actual talent versus the separation of their draft rank number um, it's quite a bit closer than the draft rank would indicate. And so that's not that's not super annoying to me. The annoying thing for me is, like, I want to go as deep into the draft as possible with players that we have ranked on the board. Um, like, a few years ago, when the Rangers drafted uh, – who's the – Evan Carter. When I mean, they drafted him in the second round, like, we didn't have him on our 500. I was pretty upset about that because he was a guy we heard about later on in the process. He wasn't a consensus name by any means. I think most teams were off him. Um, but I would like to have players who were taken. As uh, deep into the draft as we can on our board, so people can get some information on them.
0: That's understandable. And plus, Evan Carter was—he uh, wasn't on the showcase circuit that much, and uh, no, he was okay. also in a, in Elizabethan Tennessee. And if anybody's mm-hmm. familiar with that part of the country, uh, <laughs> if you ever heard of Tri Cities Airport, uh, that's the Kingsport, uh, Johnson City, uh, um, um, oh Bristol area, and mm-hmm. Elizabethan's just like kind of. Um, off the beaten path a bit uh, from there. Not a base, big baseball-heavy area of the country. Uh, mm-hmm. So if they were going to miss, if you were going to miss on somebody it was going to be in that year, <laughs> uh, but, you know, in that part of the country, it was, a good, yeah. it was a good sign by the Rangers there. Absolutely. It looks great. All right. Uh, we're going to finish this up by uh, throwing some rapid-fire questions at you. Uh, one answer. That's all you're going to get. Any of these okay. questions so, uh, Perfect. best hit tool, Dylan Cruz, uh, best power tool, um, Brock Wilkin, uh, fastest runner in the top uh, 100 of the draft, Enrique Bradfield, most likely top 50 prospect to stick at shortstop.
1: Hmm. Okay. Uh, this is rat. How how long uh,
0: You can go... take your time. I I mean it's okay.
1: Let's see here. I will go with Oh man. That's a tricky one actually. We can Adrian go back Santana. to Santana. No, I'll go okay. Adrian Santana.
0: I like that. Uh, like high, high school choice. player out of out of South Florida. Uh most likely top 50 prospect to stick at catcher. Kyle Steele. <laughs> I mean, it was <laughs> My only, only one answer. <laughs>
1: um, My only option.
0: Best fastball.
1: Um,
0: Paul Skeens. Best slider. Paul Schemes. Best curveball. I'll go
1: Hurston Waldrop, But if you don't accept that one, because I think you could classify his as slider, I can choose someone else.
0: No, that's fine. We'll go with that. And best changeup or splitter. Mm. (sighs) Hurston Waldrop. That one was really tough. Uh, Who will be the first reliever taken? I will go... Andrew Walters. At Miami. Nice. Nice. Uh, Who will be the first Bloodlines player to be taken? Draco Wilson. All right nice, nice there uh who is the most likely player to be a two way player in this draft uh Bryce Eldridge all right um the final part of our show is usually going over what's on tap um uh i, I usually share some live looks. you've already shared what you, where you're gonna be this week um uh do you got anything in the queue any mock drafts at baseball america any updates to the um to the rankings coming up? Yeah, so what, uh, what we're working on now is just making sure all of our rankings are updated. The
1: way we roll them out is we have preseason reports for all these players, and we don't really cycle back to update them unless they're new players to the list as we expand. So uh, the last few weeks are kind of making sure that all the reports are updated with in-season performance and end-of-season stats and any late risers are getting on the list with updated reports. So that's happening right now for me. Uh, They're always requesting more mock drafts, so I'm sure at some point later this week or early next, there will be another mock draft from me as well. Um, And all those you can you can find at baseballamerica.com.
0: Awesome. That's one thing I miss doing is mock drafts for the draft. Oh Um, man, they shouldn't be so. They're fun though. They're they're fun, and then they're agonizing when everybody starts to question you. Um, That's always
1: they 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 are fun, but I think I think. There's so much, in, like it's it's not fun when you're talking to the teams who are making the picks, and they say oh, we don't know who we're taking yet, and you're supposed to be there with a mock draft telling people who they're taking. So that that's the part that uh,
0: I wish people were more aware
1: of <laughs> how much real yeah.
0: uncertainty there actually is in these. And you never know how much wash they're giving you as well uh, uh, when you're trying to figure sure. out who a team's going to take. Uh, well, this week I'll, I'll probably be writing up uh, some some draft prospects uh, if I get permission to do so. Um, but I will get to the ballpark a bunch this week because uh, the Tennessee Smokies are coming into town. Uh, that means Pete Crow Armstrong, Owen Casey, uh, Jordan Wicks, J.D. Hertz, uh, coming from for the Tennessee club. That Those are all Cubs prospects. And uh, I'll probably hopefully get my last looks at Novi Marte, uh, who I've already covered on here, and get to see Connor Phillips, who seems to never pitch when I am at the ballpark. So it will be nice to see those looks. So uh, stay tuned for them. We'll probably have those looks on the next episode of the Eyes Have It podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us on this week's uh, version of the Eyes Habit podcast. Uh, Brent Hershey will be back for the next two weeks to co-host the show with me as we tackle all the mid-season fun together, including a special episode with Brent on location in Seattle for the Futures game and the draft. Uh, And that episode will be on July 10th. Uh, We'd love to hear from you as always. You can ask us questions at It at baseballhq.com or reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at C underscore blessing. Uh, If you're a first-time listener to the Eyes Have It podcast, click subscribe to get our future episodes and also rank us spread the word too. I know within fantasy leagues, it's hard to uh, tell somebody that uh, you're getting information from this source. And if we're helping you out, uh, it's even doubly hard. So um, please send them our way. If you want, if not tell your friends outside the league, Um, may everyone have a great week. And thank you, Carlos for joining us uh, on this episode and really uh, giving us a, Uh, full spectrum of the first few rounds of the draft.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This
0: was fun, Chris. I appreciate it. Awesome, awesome. Y'all have a great week.